You are listening to the Sermon Podcast of Fellowship Bible Church. Thank you for stopping by. We sincerely hope you are blessed. Enjoy. Would you open up in your Bible to the book of Job? I want you to open up in your Bible to the book of Job this morning because I want you to be able to find it. (laughs) Find the book of Job. So a couple years ago, uh, our Bible study group began to study the book of Job. I didn't really want to study the book of Job. I, don't, I didn't really like the book of Job. Maybe you're in a similar condition to where I was. Uh, I, I have created a sort of a sermon plan for myself where I, I, I select certain books after other books and it, I'm not going to explain it all here, but Job kind of came up in the lottery, right? Job came up, and I thought, oh boy, here we go with Job. Because on the one hand, Job is really kind of a hard book. It raises really difficult philosophical questions. On the other hand, it's a really long and at times tedious book. And so we went into our Bible study with, I went into the Bible study with that kind of a spirit, with that kind of a reluctance. Job being a little bit of a downer and a little bit of a poorly used book philosophically. So many Christians on the issue of God's sovereignty or free will, or they really go to Job and it causes some trouble. So I was anxious about that, but I'm so thankful for the, the crew that walked with me in that Bible study season uh, because the book of Job just bloomed under our conversations and the work of the Spirit in our lives. And it, it, really, became a, it really became transformative for me. Job is part of the collection in Scripture of the wisdom books. And, and truly to this day, to this very week, uh, the book of Job has been meaningful in giving me wisdom for my walk of faith and for so much of the interaction that I've had with, with you all in, in counseling or, or prayer settings uh, has come from the lessons that I learned in that Bible study in the book of Job. And so I'm, I'm actually really, I'm, I'm enthusiastic and eager to preach the book of Job uh, for you, with you, uh, to look at this with you. Uh, but I'm also kind of anxious because it is such a weighty book and because there's, there's so much wisdom and good, goodness here for us, but we've got to be really careful with it. And so uh, I'm, I'm a little bit anxious here, but I want to start this morning with reflecting on the book of Job as a whole. So next Sunday, we're going to get into chapters 1 and 2 of the book of Job. But today, we're going to kind of look at Job from a a little bit of an overview standpoint. So first of all, let's just ask, what is is the book of Job? And what do we need to to know before we begin? Well, you found it in your Bibles, right? So Job is is an Old Testament book of the Bible. And because Job is an Old Test, a book of the Bible in the Old Testament, we know a few things already about it right away. That the book of Job was written to encourage our faith in God. Everything in Scripture was encouraged to was written to encourage our faith in God. And therefore, the way that it called us to encur- to put our faith in God is it calls us, God's people, us today, Israel then, to trust God's promises all of which would then be fulfilled in Jesus. So when, in the Old Testament, when they were trusting the Word of God, they were trusting the promises of God, what, what and who they were really trusting is Jesus. 
They didn't know it quite in that way yet, but they knew that it was going to be Messiah. They knew it was going to be God's anointed one. And so Job is calling God's people ultimately to put their faith and trust in Jesus. Job is ultimately, as is every book in the Bible, about trusting Jesus. And we'll talk a little bit more about that before we close this morning. Job is about trusting Jesus in really some very unique situations. As Shelley began to read in Job 1, we already see some some extraordinary sufferings come upon this fellow Job. But one of the other things we need to know before we begin our study of the book of Job is that uh, Job almost seems to have uh, historical context and story context scrubbed from its book. The, The context of the book of Job is mostly unknown. You can go to almost any other book in the Bible and you can see, well, this, is, this person was the king, this happened in this place, this happened before, this happened after, and we can put it in that context, in that historical context. Job really doesn't have very much of that. It has a few references to cultural features that allow us to locate the story in the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchal period. But most of the other historical details seem to have been removed. Job is, an, is essentially presented us to us without historical context because the star of the story is not the character development it's not the story it's actually the star of the book of Job is the conversation now so many of the other books of the Bible even in the Psalms you know this Psalm was written by this person after this happened and we get to go back into the history we get to go back into the geographic setting we get to go back into who was that person's father who was their who were their kids? We get to know all this context. If that's not here because the story's not the star, the conversation is the star. And the conversation of the book of Job is a conversation that has been of interest to all people in all times and all places since it was written. Just if you've got your physical Bibles there, why don't you just kind of page through the book of Job and find the end of it? And what you're going to discover is that the book of Job is long. It is a long book. It is 42 chapters long. And out of those 42 chapters, only three deal with the story of Job. Chapters 1 and 2 and chapter 42, which means that 39 chapters of it are a series of conversations. 39 chapters. It's almost the gospel according to Mark and the gospel according to John combined is the conversations happening in Job. Job is about these conversations, so what are those conversations about? If you know anything about Job, the character of Job, you know that Job is really the original model, the, maybe the ultimate model for the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? It is funny, though, that we almost never ask the opposite question, right? Why do good things happen to us? But this is a very important question. Why do bad things happen to good people? Job, as, as, you, as you heard in Shelley's reading of chapter 1, Job was a righteous, godly, very well-to-do man who loses everything. He loses everything, apparently, except for some annoying friends. It's like he, he lost everything that you would want to keep, and he kept everything that you would try to get rid of. But there's a big philosophical problem in the book of Job because we know, as again you heard Shelley read, we know that God is involved in this situation. And so what Job is really about is about the relationship of sufferings to righteousness to God. 
And so we're going to talk about that so many different times over the next couple of months. What is the relationship between what we do, if we're trying to do it right, and God, and then the, the bad things that happen in our lives? What is the relationship of these things? Job is such an extraordinary book. It's an extraordinary book, first of all, because it is exquisitely crafted. It is a, like a double book length psalm. It is so carefully, exquisitely crafted because, secondly, it addresses probably the most painful questions in human existence. It addresses those questions. It's not the only place that does this, right? There's many books in, throughout history that have tried to make sense of sufferings, but Job's answer, they're astonishing. They're utterly unique. You can look at other ancient uh, cultures who try to wrestle with the question of suffering, and nowhere other than the Bible, nowhere other than Job, do you hear this perspective. It's absolutely extraordinarily unique and precious. And we need it today, right? 4,000 or however many thousands of years after the book of Job was written, the questions of Job are still with us, right? Probably not a month goes by, maybe even not a week goes by, where we aren't asking for whatever reason, is God good? Is He loving? Is he powerful? Is he in control of things? Because if all those things are true, I just like, what is going on? I just, I don't get it. I don't like it. Why? How many times have you just asked, why? Like, I walked in this morning and, and Mike joked, he said, you know, you just had to move. And because you moved, God sent this huge snowstorm, right? And I, I said, the thought has occurred to me that this was some special gift for, for that. This is how we operate. We are always filtering out the events of life with this kind of like, uh, what, what is God doing? Why are these things happening? What Job is going to present us with is... That while there's so many questions that are going to swirl around our minds and our conversation as we think about God and his relationship to sufferings, there's really, just, there's really only one question for all of us in this. One question that reappears every day, every week, every month, every year as it goes by, one question. And that one question is, can I trust God now? Can I trust God now? That might be the only question for Christians. Today is the day of faith, the author of Hebrews says. Can I trust God now? Right? Because you, you look out the window and you think, oh, can I trust God now? You pick up the phone and you put it down and you think, oh, can I trust God now? Can I trust God now? There are th kind of three, one of the astonishing and beautiful things about Job is that there's sort of three groups of characters, and they really, uh, they really answer that question with kind of the fundamental answers. The first, the first character who answers this question for us is uh, Satan. Satan in the book of Job is, is one of the, the characters who pops up at the very beginning and then sort of seems to disappear. And Satan says about the question of trust, he says, oh yeah, of course you can trust God just as long as your God gives you everything you want. That's his whole premise. He says, take away all the good stuff from Job. He's going to stop trusting you. Trust in God is intimately connected with getting the stuff you want. He's basically saying we're all like little immature children who you just give them stuff, give them stuff, give them stuff, and then as soon as you stop, they go, ah, I'm not taking another step. Like, I'm not going anywhere with you because you're not giving me the candies anymore. 
Well, the question that comes out of Joe or Satan's sort of answer to this question is, if I, is it really trust if I have to get what I want? That's a hard one. <laughs> well, well played. <laughs> the second group that raises the question of trust is the friends. And Job's friends, really, boy, it, one of the interesting things about reading Job is so much of what the friends say, you're like, oh, I kind of think I, I, think I agree with that. Should I be, though? I'm not sure. And the friends say that, yes, you can absolutely trust God to punish you if you do wrong and probably to bless you if you do everything right. You can absolutely trust God to play according to the rules of the game. And that's all you can trust God to do. Which raises the question that Job wrestles with, the book of Job wrestles with, is, is is it really trust if I just think I know the rules and I'm playing the game? So what the friends tell Job repeatedly is they say, listen, these are the rules of the game. If you suffer, it's because you sin. Just confess to some stuff. This was actually a very common perspective in the ancient world that we have record of. That if the gods appear to be ticked. So even if you don't know what you did, just start confessing some stuff and get the, get, get the game going again. Is it really trust if I'm just playing a game that I think I know the rules of? And then Job himself, who is our hero in this story, is the one that we're supposed to listen to. Job struggles with this question. Job says, I would love to trust God if only he would explain himself. Which raises an even deeper level question for us about faith and trust. Is, is it really trust if I have to understand Right? When, you, when you say to somebody, just trust me and come on, and they, they say, no, explain it to me. What's going to happen? Every, that's not trust. That's agreement. Am I following God because I, because I feel like I've re received a good explanation and I agree with Him? Or am I genuinely trusting Him? Hard questions. Hard, hard questions. And what I love about Job and why Job is so powerful is that it wrestles with these questions in the middle of pain and loss and sufferings and suspicions. Job was not written, and we're not going to allow, I'm not going to allow Job to be treated this way. Job was not written for a sophomore philosophy course. Job was written to sufferers struggling with faith, like us. Because all sufferers struggle with faith. All sufferers struggle with faith. And all the faithful are going to suffer and we're going to struggle. And so I'm so thankful for Job and what Job affirms. Here's a couple of things that Job affirms that will, in the end, help us trust God more. The first thing is that sufferings create deeply confusing struggles. This is something we see throughout Scripture, all over the Psalms, in the experience of Jesus himself and the apostles in prison. Sufferings create deeply confusing struggles. And Job affirms, sufferings are real and sufferings are hard. Right? There's other philosophies and perspectives that say sufferings are not real. Sufferings are not hard. It's just all in your mind. That's not what the Bible teaches Sufferings are real, sufferings are hard, and so complaining about them is kind of is fair. It's fair. 
It's fair and fine. In fact, there's 39 chapters of your Bible dedicated to a guy complaining about his sufferings. Sufferings are real and hard, and complaining about them is okay. But the second thing that Job affirms is that God knows our sufferings. God knows our sufferings. Our sufferings are not beyond God, and they're not outside of God. Right? We can't just say, like, well, God didn't know, or, well, God would love to help with that, but he's just, he's weak. No, 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 that's not the teaching of Job. Job affirms God is over, and God is good. God is over these things, and God is good. And then the third thing that Job affirms that helps us is that trusting God is, and this is where I, I think we're going to go with the book of Job as we study it, trusting God is ultimately, it is the only satisfying, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually satisfying response to the unexplainable sufferings of life. You can try to come up with some sort of philosophy. None of them, right? We're still arguing about this thousands of years since the, the Hebrew writers, the ancient Near East, the, the, the Greek and Roman philosophers have been wrestling. We still haven't come up with a, with a sound philosophical container for our doubts and questions about suffering. Except what the Scripture holds out to us, which is you've got to trust the God over it all. And Job affirms that faith is wise... And faith is worth it. Faith, trust in God, is worth it. For those who belong to God, who have trusted in Him, the world of sufferings, that's where our faith exists. Right? We, don't, we don't step from our sins and the cross and straight into just heaven. We step just back into the world that we had always lived in, but now with God with us. Sufferings are where our faith exists. And so we listen to Job, who trusts God by crying out to him and arguing with him. To suffer faithfully does not mean that we are to be turned into some sort of uh, inhuman spiritual robots who are going through extraordinary sufferings, but who are just saying, like, everything's fine. God's good all the time, all the time. God's good. That's not what we hear in Job. Faith is for sufferings, and sufferings require faith. We'll talk more about that at another time. Faith is for sufferings. That's what we have faith for, is when we can't understand, when we don't get it. And all the sufferings of life, they just you have to have faith. And then we also see in Job that uh, sufferings grow our faith. It's just really, it's such an interesting book because the whole time God, uh, Job has been like, I want to talk to God. I want God to show up and, and explain things. And so finally God shows up at the end of Job. He talks for three chapters, this awesome speech, and God doesn't explain anything about Job's sufferings. He doesn't explain anything about why Job suffered. But what he does is he assures Job that of his presence, he assures Job of his glory. And so through those assurances, he assures Job that, Job, it's right to trust me. And Job, when he doesn't get an explanation, but he sees God. He doesn't get an explanation, he gets a revelation. Somebody write that down. <laughs> I want to use that later. He gets a revelation. He sees who God is, and his confidence in God grows 
Job grows, and Job is blessed. It is the, and I know this, this is, this is going to be challenging as we study Job. The hard, this is the hardest thing. To trust in troubles is the hardest thing. And yet, it's only when we go overboard that we want the life preserver. It's only when we're overboard that we're hanging on to the life preserver, and it's only when the fins appear that we cling to that life preserver with our whole being. The message of the book of Job is the message of every book of the Bible, only more plainly and painfully told, which is that God can be trusted, God must be trusted, and so friends, trust God. I want to give you a hint of, of this, the, the way this message is going to work out. Uh, this is some of the fruit of Job in my life. As I've been reading the Bible now for a couple of years since our study of, of Job as a, as a Bible study group. So let me share, this is almost like a, a kind of a devotional within a devotional. Uh, in Genesis chapter 1, God makes everything. And he says, uh, what does he say about everything that he's made? He says it's good. But then sin enters the world. And all that was good is now complicated, right? Now it's all shifted. It's bad, it's dangerous, it's not good. But then when we fast forward to the New Testament, to Paul's letter in Romans, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Do you remember what it says there? It says that uh, all things work together for good. Paul's saying to the Roman church that God is at work in all things, working them together for the good that we had. We had the good, we lost the good, God's working the good anew. What is that good? We'll talk about that in just a second. But what is God working for good? He's now working, he says, all things together for good. But what he's working for good includes huge unexpected snowstorms and nuclear energy and plastics and viruses and political factions and everything else that bothers us or worries us is now part of the all things that are being worked together for good. We live now in a very complicated world, but that is not getting in the way of our God producing the good that he wants to work. So what is this best, this this Genesis 1 kind of good that God is at work in the world to give us who love him? Paul explains this at the end of Romans 8. He he states it at the end of Romans 8. He tells us what that great good is, what that best good is. But now with that, he also reveals something. He, He reveals that all the things that God is working for our good are all things that could be separating us from that good. He says things like death, and life, things that God is working for our good, but they could be things that separate us from that good. And angels and rulers and things in the past and things in the present and things in the future and powers on high and powers down low and, and whatever else are things that are trying to separate. All of those things that Paul says are trying to separate us from this thing. But they can't. They can't separate us from that best good. 
Nothing can separate us, Paul says, from, that, from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from our sense of the love of God, which is given to us as we get to know Jesus. But everything is trying to. The good that we had, we lost. God is working to restore. And that good is our sense of God's love for us, known in Jesus. And that same thing, that sense of God's love, that is what everything in life is trying to pull us away from. And just think about your morning so far. Everything in life is encouraging us to stop relying on Jesus, to stop trusting in him and his character to stop relying on his providence, his wisdom, his care. But the Bible says, and Romans preaches, and the book of Job demonstrates that God is at work, and we will have, we will have good. Our faith in God is his purpose in all that is. That's what Paul's saying. Our faith in God is God's purpose in all that is. Our, our, our faith connection to God's heart in Christ. That's his purpose in everything that he's working, which is everything. And so the lesson that Job, we see Job learn and that he teaches us is to hold fast to this and to trust God. And this is such a good message for us because friends, right, you know this, if it doesn't get worse, it's certainly going to get different. And only faith in this God who is Jesus can steady us through those seasons. In the book of Job, in the book of Job, it's as if the question, why do the righteous suffer, gets flipped around, and you end up asking, in this kind of world, in the midst of all these sufferings, how can anybody, how can anybody do what's right in the eyes of God? But the answer of Job is, because what's right in the eyes of God is that you hope in him. You trust in him. And hardships like fins circling in the water can make us even, can make that hope in God even more precious, like that life preserver. And so, my friends, today, let's hope in God. Would you take a moment as we transition to sing and then I'll close our service off with a benediction. We just take a moment and in quiet, review, review a few of the troubles in your life and ask God to strengthen your faith, your faith connection to his love in Jesus, that you can trust him more today. Ask him to help you trust him more. Would you please stand and we'll pray together? And then sing. Heavenly Father, you know absolutely the extent of the sufferings represented here by those you have brought this morning. And it is, it is great and it is extraordinary. The sufferings of Job have in some measure been, been experienced by most of us or will be. And that's why we're here. We're looking to you. We think sometimes for answers. 
We're looking to you for, for something. And what we hear in Scripture is that what we're, what we're truly looking for is to know your love. To know it so well that we can genuinely rest in the midst of sufferings. We can rest in you. We can rest in your word. We can rest in your love. And this is an extraordinary thing. But we're here because we trust you and we trust you to, to do that work. And so, Lord, would you enliven the word that we've heard this morning in the songs and the scripture reading and, and as we reflect on the book of Job. Would you enliven that word in our hearts to stir up, to rekindle faith as needed, to bring us into your comfort, to remind us of our hope. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Pastor David. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Fellowship Bible Church. We sincerely hope you enjoyed this reflection on Scripture, and we pray that this word dwells in you richly.